1: following is a presentation of Radio.com Sports. Radio.com Sports presents Big Time Baseball. Fly ball and back in the deep right center
0: field. Lorenzo Cooley. Down! To the game!
1: And we got you covered with the best in the business.
0: Deep down the left field line,
1: it's gone! Manny Machado breaks it open with a three-run shot. With veteran play-by-play voice Josh Lewin. A slam! Ball game! And MLB insider John Heyman. His numbers would look so much better if there weren't guys compiling 600 home runs. Each week will feature a comprehensive look at Major League Baseball, the biggest stories, and a breakdown of the divisions leading up to the 2019 championship race. And Harper to center. Way back. Sheep! It's all right here on Radio.com Sports, Big Time Baseball.
2: Brought to you by the 2019 Mercedes-Benz A-Class. Radio.com Sports presenting Big Time Baseball. It's brought to you by the 2019 Mercedes-Benz A-Class. And we have a little bit of a change-up for you today because we we believe John Heyman is somewhere in Venice currently. Not Venice, Florida. I like the actual Venice. So Rob Bradford from WEEI will be our well-respected baseball insider today. And we'll hear from him in just a moment. If you don't know, Rob joined uh, WEEI's Red Sox coverage after spending a lot of time as a beat writer. Uh, Boston Herald and the Eagle Tribune. He's written a couple really good books. And uh, you can check him out at the Brad Foe Show podcast. You can get that right here on Radio.com. And, of course, his podcast you can find each week. We're bringing you insight into the top storylines across the big leagues, including a rundown of the happenings in each division. That's probably my favorite thing is to bounce around from here to there. So it's uh, Rob Bradford with Josh Lewin today. And uh, all of our episodes, uh, I think you'll find, we, we've got some of the best baseball voices and guests to, to put out there for you. This week, Joe Girardi, Sweeney Murty, who covers the Yankees for WFAN. That's the Radio.com sports station. Big-time baseball is a big part of Radio.com. It allows you to listen to your favorite radio stations free of charge anytime, anywhere, Listen to over 300 stations, over 1,100 podcasts. We are very thrilled to be one of them. And you can follow Radio.com Sports on Twitter at RDC Sports. Rob, it's terrific to have you as a part of this. It's an interesting time to have you as a part of this. I wish I could just, you know, bring you on, welcome you with open arms, and talk about anything just kind of frivolous that we can think of, but... Uh, David Ortiz obviously has everybody's attention, and, and thank God it looks like it, it's like he's going to be okay. But, boy, you know w- what a weird thing Sunday night, the emotions for Boston sports fans as the Bruins are destroying St. Louis in Game 6 of the Stanley Cup Finals. It's, wait, what? What happened to David Ortiz? How did it go from it was a robbery, he was shot in the leg, to attempted murder, and he was shot in the back and the abdomen? Well, this is, not to
3: equate the two, but, you know, you look at, we went through it around where I am in in Boston Marathon bombings. There was all kinds of information. Everyone wants to jump in and and say this or say that. And I think it's a lesson. That was the ultimate lesson for all of us, that you really have to be careful about what you say. Uh, Collect all the facts. It's okay if you aren't first when it comes to a life-and-death situation like this. And, and, you know, somebody had said that the – the leg was the thing that got shot, okay, and and then there was other that was going to be a burglary, okay, but as we saw the surveillance video, that was clearly not the case in terms of the motivation. I don't know how you can see that surveillance video and think it was anything but a calculated attack on David Ortiz, and And so this is how, you know how it is, Josh. I mean, this is how it works. Everyone's running around. Everyone's trying to get information. I think a lot of well-meaning people. But at the end of the day, we're sitting here. You know, it only took a few hours for the story to really, really change. But the most important thing is once you got the information from the doctors, from the police, that David Ortiz was going to be stable,
2: that was the most important thing. And obviously, because you know David Ortiz so well, I mean, you've covered him so closely. And this is going to be a weird question. Does it almost stun you instead of surprise you that someone in the Dominican Republic, I mean, of all places, I mean, we talk, I can't even think about who the equivalent of an American icon would be, but that is the Dominican icon, and I guess you know, I mean, there are deranged people everywhere, and this could have happened to anywhere. You could have been sitting on a beach in Aruba, and somebody could have been deranged, but it just didn't compute, right? I mean, a, that a national icon could could be the subject of that.
3: Well, I guess it's two things, Josh. Is that number one, as you said, there's deranged people everywhere, and it can be in the most the, the most safe ground that you could ever imagine, and all it takes is one. And I think that was the case here, and maybe we'll find out that it was more than one behind it. But the other part of this equation is exactly what you said: is that not to be not to be morbid about it, but really, if you want to have an idea of how revered David Ortiz is. Just look at what happened to the suspect that was was immediately arrested or, or, or detained for this shooting. I mean there was this this vitriolic reaction from everybody there it was and obviously you see someone shot, you are going to be all over the, the person who who pulled the trigger but this this resonated throughout the entire country. that question that you asked, how could anybody do that to this guy, the guy that's probably more popular maybe than anybody else in the country. We saw how they felt in terms of their reaction to the the suspect, and we continue to just sort of get this outpouring, not only from baseball, but the, out, the outpouring from baseball, Josh, is minute compared to the outpouring of what you're going to get from that country.
2: Right, exactly right. Rob Bradford with us in for John Heyman. This is Big Time Baseball from Radio.com Sports. So now it it almost seems kind of uh, quaint and uh, inappropriate in a weird way to to go to anything else to talk about because everybody was so upset about Ortiz. And if we were, I mean, initially, I'm making notes for the show. I'm thinking, oh, we got to talk about Mad Bomb against Max Muncie, and that's (laughs) going to be the big outrage. So uh, I I just want to be very clear. You know, David Ortiz getting shot is like a million times more important. Than mad bum getting upset at Max Muncy. But in the interest of moving the podcast along, uh, look, the whole unwritten rules thing, Rob, has been around forever. And baseball isn't the only sport with unwritten rules. But no other sport devotes so much time to the mythology and enforcement of this kind of stuff. I mean, basketball, if you, you jack up a three to get your team to 100 points when you're already leading by 20, the retaliation for that is everyone just kind of shakes their head and says, well, you shouldn't do that. Uh, You know, anything that happens in baseball, either someone throws a rock hard projectile at somebody's body at 98 miles an hour to try to get some retribution or like Madison Bumgarner, you stomp around the mound, you start screaming and basically challenging somebody to a fight. Is it as easy to say to quote from Blazing Saddles, rest your sphincters, gentlemen, or (laughs) does Mad Bum have a point that, look, I mean, basically he's saying, look, this whole let the kids play thing, that's fine for you guys but you do you I'll do me. I'm an unwritten rules guy and I get to police my area of the of the plate here if I decide I want to.
3: Yeah, so so as soon as you said Blazing Saddles quote, I mean I I about 5 million came to mind, but that's a pretty good <laughs> one. For some reason, I immediately wanted to default to Talladega Nights and say car ran good. For some, I don't know why, but it's, 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 I think you and I are of the same ilk where there are certain quotes in movies and TV shows which, which sum up situations that we run into every day, and, and you had a pretty good one right there. I, I look at this this way. It's crazy, it's and an, it's an emotional game. It can be an emotional game. This guy is clearly an emotional guy, but hey, listen, if we're worrying about this, if, we're worried, if, if the pitcher is going to be worried about how quickly a guy gets down to first base, we, we have to get past this. I really think so. We have to get past this, and the pitcher, if, if he does react like Baumgartner did, then I, th- I think that he should come under criticism because it's all right. Hey, we all do stupid things, but just own the stupid thing. Own the thing that you you your emotions get the better of you. Mac Muncy wins. He not only won with a home run, but he won with the post game quotes. Mm. That's just how it is. And we have to and, and the pitchers and everybody else in baseball have to understand that you're going to do stupid things because of emotions, but you're going to have to live with those.
2: I, I, are you going to buy a "Go Get It Out of the Ocean" T-shirt? By the way, those have to have been printed by now.
3: I mean, I, who's to say I don't have the copyright on that? <laughs> Very quick. <laughs>
2: whoever did that quickly that that now speaking of the Dodgers and the Giants they're going to play again this coming weekend uh we know Cody Bellinger's having an MVP season but uh, to me it's the rotation that has the Dodgers running away i mean as of the moment that you and i are talking right now the, the starters are 31 and 8 they got a 2.8 ERA and Hyun-jin Ryu is doing amazing things 135 ERA He's going to be the fifth pitcher since 1980 to have a first half ERA of under 1.5. It looks like Zach Greinke did it, Clemens did it, Pedro did it. The other two you'll never get: Bob Nepper and Jim Kern both did it. Uh, but whatever it is, I mean, Ryu is just insane right now, and he's got company. Everybody in that rotation is great.
3: Yeah, and a guy that you know I know from covering him, Rich Hill is just. I was thinking about him last night, where you know this is a guy who. He made the most of four starts with the Red Sox. Four starts. He gets a one million six, one year, six million dollar contract from Oakland. He keeps on going, and then the Dodgers sign him for this three year deal. And he's to other than some blister issues, he's been worth every penny. You aren't going to find a top of the rotation guy typically at the price that you're getting Rich Hill for, and we understand the age and everything else. But I think this is whether it's Rich Hill, whether it's Rio, whoever. You have to give the Dodgers a lot of credit. You have the talent, you get the talent, but then you have to put them in the right spots. You have to have the right system in place. And I remember talking to Joe Kelly when he was signing with the Dodgers. When he met with Andrew Friedman, one of the things that impressed him was their approach toward pitching, their catcher's approach toward pitching, how much time they put into analyzing things, not only the analytics people, but the catcher's. And I think that is paying off for for all the names that we are mentioning. So it's a combination of everything. You have the talent, but you also have the right system in place. We're seeing that right now.
2: And as we jump to the NL Central, I want to go right from the Dodgers to the team that they beat to get to the World Series last year, the Milwaukee Brewers. They're sitting uh, right there with the Cubs, right on top of the division. I think a lot of people figured that. And kind of like how it would be easy just to talk about Ryu and forget about the supporting cast of characters – to me, it's the same deal with Yelich, and I'm not anti-Yelich at all. I mean, I'm looking at 60 home runs as a Brewer in 785 at-bats. He had 59 with the Marlins in 2,500 at-bats. So, you know, he goes to Milwaukee and just explodes, but he's surrounded by Mike Moustakis, who I don't know if anybody's noticed, has 20 home runs, 10 of them in his last 15 games against the Pirates, by the way. Uh, Yasmani Grandal. I mean, offensive thump, defensive contributions all over the place. I know Wilson Contreras is in the same division, so not everybody notices this. But, boy, that that's a pretty complete, pretty thick-rostered team, too, Milwaukee.
3: Yeah, it is. And I think people sleep on them, don't you? I mean, I think that this is – we understood how far they went, but maybe they, they see guys who aren't performing Lorenzo's canes and – and Aguilar's and these guys who aren't performing like they did last year. It's like, oh, maybe they were a little bit fluky. But here they are. I mean, they're keeping pace with the Cubs, who are one of the hottest teams around. The, to your point, they're a very talented team in large part because of the shrewd acquisitions in the offseason. And my guess is that they are going to be one of the most aggressive teams at the trade deadline because I think that that's what they've proven to be in the past. They're there. There, this is this isn't a fluke here. This this is not the fluke of last year. This is a very very good team. I do think, however, Josh, of all the teams that we're talking about, the upper echelon teams, that's the team that really really needs the addition of a high profile guy at the deadline.
2: And meantime, because and you mentioned the Cubs, Craig Kimbrell about the highest profiled. Reliever, you could ever bring in, and it was kind of a standing joke on the podcast with John. I mean, every single time we do a podcast, oh, Kimball's going here, Kimball's going there, and finally we know he's a cub. But you know, 12 blown saves this year that's more than uh, basically every other team in the majors save for three, and that's going to help, right? I mean, it always has a spillover effect. If you got your ninth inning guy, well, your ninth inning guy becomes your eighth inning guy, your eighth inning guy becomes your seventh inning guy. So it just seems like the Cubs kind of have their stuff together now with Kimbrell, assuming that Kimbrell is Kimbrell, and, and we don't know that yet.
3: Yeah, see, that, that's for me, that's a big assumption. And, and having watched Craig Kimbrell up close, his work ethic is is off the charts. He certainly has the stuff. I mean, he showed that last year. I know that he had problems in the postseason, but he had the stuff for the most part last year, had a, another pretty good year. But you have to also remember how long it took him to get going after not having a normal spring training. And that's just spring training. We're adding on three more months here on top of spring training. And we know the history of guys who have tried this, who have been dropped in. The results haven't been great. So I I do think that I am going in with a wary eye when it comes to Kimbrell. It can't hurt. You, You just said the numbers, Josh. It can't hurt what is the weakness undeniably for this team, for this Cubs team. But I don't know if this is going to be the be-all, end-all. I think a lot of Chicago fans maybe think it is.
2: Rob Bradford is the voice that you hear right there on Big Time Baseball, presented by Radio.com Sports. I'm Josh Lewin. Uh, the other big free agent signing, we, we knew it would be the first week of June, right? I mean, after the, the draft started and the compensation just kind of vapor trails away, the Braves end up with Keikel. They've already got Mike Soroka, who who just fell short barely of becoming the first pitcher this past century to allow one earned or fewer each of his first nine starts in a season. I mean, this guy's got a 141 ERA. Looks like it's uh, either Chris Paddock or Soroka or Pete Alonso, for Rookie of the Year in the National League. What do you think about the Braves? Because here are the Phillies. They lose McCutcheon. They, they gain Jay Bruce, who just keeps socking home runs. Is that a two team race in the NL East or are the Mets or and the Nationals still in this thing?
3: Well, I think that's interesting because the Mets and the Nationals, we talk you know, you talk about teams that are you going to go for the realistic point of view and maybe draw back a little bit and not go all in at the trade deadline? Or are you going to go for perception? Because you need your fan base so desperately to get back on your side. And and, and the managers, I mean, both Martinez and Callaway, are they going to manage a little bit differently? We hear Alex Cora talk all the time about not chasing wins. Well, when you're in New York and Washington and you have those expectations, it's hard not to chase wins when you're in that boat. In terms of the Braves, what I like, I like they're a good road team. I like that that's where, whether it's them, whether it's the Rays, for a young team to be a good road team, that goes a long way in my book. So I I think that they can learn from last year. I think, obviously, they have a tremendous amount of talent. But you do have – one team that had the success of last year and another team in the Phillies who right now are in a cap bird seat. But we don't know how that's going to play out. They they have a bunch of guys who weren't in the situation the Braves were last year. I think that's going to be a fascinating division.
2: Let's spend five minutes in the American League. Let's see how quickly we can whip through the AL West. The Astros they have got an injured list of Springer, Altuve, Correa, Oledmus Diaz, Max Stassi doesn't seem to matter that they bring up Jordan Alvarez from Triple A. They kind of had to at some point. 23 homers, 71 runs batted in in 56 games. Just seems like bringing sand to the beach for Houston. I mean, they've already got all this talent that's going to be getting healthy and you've you've had this guy stashed at Triple A all year too.
3: <laughs> yeah, it it's 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 crazy. You know that we we talk about the top organizations, Josh. Like so when you look at how organizations are built it's not that we we are seeing less and less of the one-hit wonders aren't we we're seeing more of the Houston's more of the Tampa's more of the Yankees you know it, it, we're seeing more of these teams where okay you hit a you get a little bump in the road here or there well we got more guys and we got a philosophy that's going to work for the long haul and, and that's what we're seeing in all these places and in Houston is You watch them play, like, it's hard not to look at them and say, that's the team to beat in the American League. And I know the record says that, but sometimes you can beat beat up on the Seattles or the Angels, the Detroits, the Kansas Cities, or whoever, but you watch them play, that's the feeling that you get.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. I don't mean to take it back to the National League, but the Cubs lost Ben Zobrist, right? And Zobrist is supposed to be – Kind of their keynote speaker, that you know he's the the engine that fuels it, and it's like they have a whole bunch of other guys that are kind of like Ben Zobrist anyway. I mean, not that David Bodie is exactly Ben Zobrist, for example, but yeah, you're right. I mean, there's just kind of a tenor to the whole program, so that even if you lose the the head of the snake, the the rest of the snake is slithering around just fine, yeah, and I and
3: would do you agree? I think that that has changed a little bit I mean, this is totally this is this is. You know, I go back to the White Sox and, and the Kenny Williams era, and clearly they were going for it. And you have other teams, not to pick on Kenny Williams, but that's the one that springs to mind, that you have teams that are going for it, and you know that, that the future probably is going to be a little bit challenging. But these guys, these teams, a lot of them are running out guys who only people who really, really follow the draft in the minor leagues can, can understand what they have coming. Tampa is the perfect example of this. They just keep running out these pitchers who are just getting the job done. And it's not just because of analytics. It's not just because they're saying, throw it here against this guy. It's because they have discovered the talent within the guys in their organizations, and they're getting the most of them.
2: We're going to uh, get to the AL East with Sweeney Murdy in just a little bit. But uh, you mentioned the White Sox. Maybe it's a good place to end since we're talking AL Central. Uh, Lucas Giolito. What the hell? Uh, a changed man since his return from the injured list. He's got this change-up that's phenomenal. The command is so much better than it was a year ago. And, I, I mean, I, I mean, dead serious when I say this. This guy could start next year's All-Star game, the, the way he looks right now.
3: Oh, yeah. And, I mean, we, we know how, what a kind of turnaround he has also, by the way. His, what was it, his grandfather was involved in Seinfeld? Or he, I, he
2: had acting in his blood. Oh, he's, he's got acting all over the place. If you and, and, and please don't give me a small opening to talk Seinfeld because I will keep talking about I it. I know for that's hours. what I but, did. it. I, I opened the window. Thank you. No, so Susan Ross's dad, if you remember uh, George's fiance, uh, that was Lucas Giolito's. Kin, uh, that guy was great. You know, the, when, when the horse was farting and, and uh, <laughs> right. Kramer Rusty, was trying to yes. explain it away, yes. the, the, the guy was holding his nose back there. Yes, is related to Lucas Giolito. See, so I'm there sorry, you, go ahead. There, there you
3: go. That's my gift to you, Josh. Thank you. And, uh, but it's, it's amazing, and it's a product of – this is another example how we want these guys to be the be-all, end-all out of the gate. Obviously, he was a big part of a big trade. But sometimes it just takes time. Sometimes it takes tweaks. In this case, it, it was tweaking that change up, finding that, throwing a little bit more once you figured out that it was a really, really good pitch, and then going from there. I mean, this is, this is the challenge, right? This is, and, and, and the Cubs, for instance, it was the Cubs were going to develop their, their position players and sign their pitchers. And there's a reason for that, because it takes a long time to develop pitchers. And we're seeing that with the White Sox.
2: That's Rob Bradford. We've got still so much to do on big-time baseball. We mentioned Sweeney Murdy will join us, and we'll kind of dive in deep in the AL East when he's on. Joe Girardi, who knows a thing or two about the AL East, obviously, he's coming up in just a moment.
1: He's a four-time World Series champion, including his latest as the Yankees manager in 2009. here comes Joe Girardi. It's Joe Girardi on Radio.com Sports Big Time Baseball.
2: Radio.com Sports presenting Big Time Baseball, brought to you by the 2019 Mercedes-Benz A-Class. Rob Bradford is in for John Heyman. Unfortunately, I'm still Josh Lewin. It is time to bring in Joe Girardi, a Radio.com Sports insider and a guy who just happens to have won some World Series titles with the Yankees, three as a player, one as a manager. And you can follow all of Joe's Radio.com hits across the country at Radio.com forward slash sports and on Twitter at RDC Sports. Uh, Joe's a bit of a renaissance man. He's also a terrific uh, in-game analyst. I had the pleasure of working with Joe on Fox years and years ago. And here he is, still doing it. And uh, I thought you were fantastic, Joe, on the Mets and Rockies this uh, this past weekend. What What was that like going back to to Citi Field? Because everybody's, I'm sure, tapping you on the shoulder, saying, "Hey, by the way, when are you going to be the manager of the Mets?" Kind
4: of interesting. You know, you, you realize how lost you could get because, like, when I walked in the stadium, we always walked the same way when we played the Mets, and you went right to the visiting clubhouse. Then I had to find the home clubhouse. I had to find out how to get to the booth. I got lost a few times, so that was a little bit frustrating, but uh, it was a great game, enjoyable game to do, and uh, good to be back.
2: And hang on, I mean, are people actually stirring your shoulder and, and saying, Joe, you want to manage? Come on, how come you're not managing? No,
4: no not really. So... Um you know, I did see a lot of people that I would see walking through the tunnels, um, but they were very respectful and, and good people.
3: You know, Joe, a big story, obviously, in baseball right now is Madison Bumgarner and the Max Muncy, uh home run, go find the yes. ball in the ocean, um, which, which spices things up in the middle of the season, and which, which we always appreciate. But this goes back to the, all the conversations that we, we continue to have about fun in baseball, what's right, what's wrong. What was your take on that whole thing?
4: Well, actually, I didn't think Max really did anything on that. And I think that's just Madison, the emotion of the game getting to him and how important that rivalry has been, uh, to him over the years. You know, I can understand if if a guy does something Madison saying something, but I thought Max was, was fairly innocent in that, unless he said something under his breath that we didn't hear. Um, I think it was just Madison being Madison an intense guy, a guy that's used to winning and loves that rivalry. And, uh, after listening to both of them after the game, I don't think this there will be any carryover effect in this one. Um, I think there was some respect thrown around at the end, and I think they'll be fine.
2: You know, it's interesting because right when you want to put it along the lines of old school, new school, you're reminded that Muncie and Bumgarner are basically the same age. I mean, they're, they're a mm-hmm. year apart, so it's not that split. But I want to go to – Kevin Euclid tweeted something a couple months ago that I thought was really interesting because I think there are some – some older players are now ex-players that, that look at guys in their 20s, and there does seem to be a bit of a, a gulf. And, and, and Joe, what he tweeted was, he said, the ability to ask former and current Major League players for advice on Twitter is amazing. But for some reason, this younger generation would rather tell us we don't know anything than actually pick our brains. And all of us are basically totally accessible. So, I mean, you know, it sounds like a, a bit of a, a sour grapes curmudgeonly kind of tweet from Kevin Euclid, who's not 80, by the way. I mean, he's still in his 40s. But do, do you understand that? I mean, what, what's your take on, you know, this very analytically savvy, Twitter savvy, 20-something generation, and guys that are at the end of their careers now or maybe just retired and, and didn't have access to that?
4: You know what? Our parents said the same thing. Kids today. That's what our parents would say.
0: <laughs> and
4: uh, it's it's never going to change. And the generations that's in their 20s now, in about 20 years, they're going to say, man, kids today. Can you believe kids today? It's just, It just will always be that because the world is ever-changing because of technology. And um, the, the younger generation knows how to use it better than the older generation. And that will continue to improve as time goes on. When I have a problem with my phone, I go to my 12-year-old daughter and say, fix this for me, please. How do I do this? Or... <laughs> So, I mean, I don't really think it's any different. Maybe um, some of the terms are different. Maybe some of the things that are done in the game are different. Uh, But that's that's never going to change. And, you know, I think every generation that has played this game wants the next generation to respect the game. Well, everyone respects the game a different way from generation to generation. It doesn't mean that, you know, I don't feel that kids don't respect the game. I think that they just show more emotion because it's okay. And uh, it's been encouraged. So, you know, I think some bat flips are excessive, and I think some celebrations are excessive. But in the heat of the moment, I don't really have much of a problem with it.
3: You know, Joe, obviously another huge story that came out um, on Sunday night was Dave Ortiz being shot in the Dominican Mm. Republic. I've covered David for a long, long time. I know him well. He's one of my favorite guys, not only to cover, but – in the game of baseball, I always said that, you know, this is one of the most genuine human beings that I've ever been around. And this is why you get the the very raw reaction that you did so many times. We, I, we talk about the emotion in the game of baseball. That was a perfect example of a David Ortiz. When you heard what happened, what was your reaction? And what was your – what was your relationship – or what is your relationship like with David Ortiz?
4: Um. It, it is friendly. It is cordial. Um, obviously I managed against him more than I ever, you know, had a uniform on against him. but it's scary. I was sitting down talking to a gentleman yesterday. that was 70 that has kids and talking about, you know, how people think a lot of times that we're invincible and your head always has to be in a, on a swivel in the world we live in. It's, it's a scary world that we live in. And, and you worry about, you know, when your kids are out and they're coming home at midnight, you worry because of all the things that can happen. And David Ortiz is a special, special man. I mean, I, I, when I look at and I was thinking about him today, you know, he was a great, great player, a clutch player. But maybe just as important, he was a great ambassador for our game, not only in the Dominican Republic, but in the United States. I mean, this this guy was Boston. I mean, he was Boston strong. And it's one thing to be a great player, but it's another thing to be a great ambassador and I think he was one of the the better ambassadors that we had in baseball. And I just hope that he heals quickly and everything is okay because he's he's important to our game, and uh, he needs to be around a long time because he's so important to our game.
3: Well, speaking of, of Boston-related subjects, you know, I was interested in asking you this question um, because I, I cover the Red Sox, and, and obviously, it was a great run from them last year but now they're in a different state they're in a different situation and they look across the field at the Yankees at the Rays and they're saying that's what we were last year For your experience how difficult is it to take the approach that the Red Sox took which was basically this just turn everything over have have relatively the same roster and expect the same results when you heard that they were doing that did you sort of go in, hey, you know what, I see that working, or these are the pitfalls that you might run into?
4: Well, if they would have turned over the same roster, I would have said, I see it, I see it working. Um, but even before the season started, I, you know, I, I told people when I was on air on MLB saying that I have concerns with the fatigue of their pitching staff, what they were asked to do last year, the extra month, what a lot of the starters were asked to do, and how would they come back. But I also had a lot of concerns because it's hard to replace Kimbrell. I mean, it's one thing to say, well, we got guys that can get outs in the ninth, but it's another thing for them to consistently do it. Uh, There's a different mentality pitching in the ninth. And even though Joe Kelly had a couple of months that he struggled last year for the the Red Sox, four months during the regular season, he was unhittable. And for a month in the playoffs, he was unhittable. And I felt like that would be tough to replace. So I thought not only would their starters be tired, but their bullpen was not the same. And I think that's kind of where they've had their struggle.
2: Joe Girardi, always appreciate the insight. And, uh, of course, you can catch him pretty much anywhere these days. He is uh, ubiquitous. And he's also really cool. Joe, thanks, buddy. We'll talk to you again soon.
4: Hey, guys. Thanks. Have a great day.
2: Thanks, All right. And uh, with with Joe uh, with us and and talking a lot about – uh, well, everything on everybody's mind, I guess, these days, because it's all about baseball code and Big poppy at the beginning of this week. Let's switch tracks in just a moment, uh, since we've talked to kind of put it in the AL East a lot already, since we got Rob Bradford here, who covers the Red Sox so beautifully. Let's go equal time. We're going to bring on Sweeney Murdy, who's the Yankees beat reporter for WFAN in New York. That's coming right up, so please keep it right here. This is Big Time Baseball.
0: 2-2. Two, two. Swung on, a long
1: drive to right center field. That ball is high, it is far, it is gone! The Sanchino, he drills a two-run home run. Oh, that Gary is
2: scary, and the Yankees take a 5-3 lead. As we continue, we try to get the very best insiders, very best guests we can on this particular podcast, Big Time Baseball. And I don't know of a, a bigger time guy than Sweeney Murty. Yankees beat reporter for WFAN, New York City, United States of America. And uh, Sweeney, I, so many Yankees things we want to get into with you, but obviously what could have been a, a completely tragic situation with David Ortiz. And as you and I speak, it uh, looks like he's going to pull through and, and all of that. But man, what a w- what a thing to hear on a random Sunday night, huh?
0: Yeah, particularly, yeah. I mean, uh, just woke up to, uh, to the news morning, actually, did not hear it uh, until then, and uh, just getting all the details after the fact that he's okay. You're just thankful that it turned out the way it did, and, and hopefully, he's, you know, uh, all those reports are accurate that he is he is perfectly okay. So, yeah, yeah, it's um, you know have seen have seen David Ortiz in action quite a bit, Yankees, Red Sox over all these years, and you know, a lot of Yankee fans who, who can't stand seeing him in that uniform, but. Uh, obviously, everybody just hoping that he's okay after this.
3: Yeah, you know, Sweeney, Every time, in the, all those years, every year he would go through a contract situation, and every year we would ask him, "Yeah, how about the Yankees? How about Yankee Stadium?" You know, <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but right field fence isn't that far away, and he would always sort of just smile. But you know, he was never—he was never going to take off that Red Sox uniform.
0: Of course, of course, I still remember him. He—he he nearly dealt, I thought, the biggest blow in Game Seven in two thousand three. Because when the Yankees said this is what would become the Aaron Boone game, it was 4-2 when David Wells came on. I guess it was the seventh inning. And first pitch, Wells throws. Ortiz smashes it. uh, Like, what is it, off the facing of the upper deck maybe? Um, And makes it 5-2. And all of a sudden, you know, the Yankees had chipped away. It became a three-run lead, and now you think, oh, now there's no way the Red Sox are losing this game. And, uh, yeah, I remember his whole run for about an hour and change was probably the biggest blow of that game.
2: So, Sweeney, as we look at the current construct of the Yankees, and, and yes, they're getting healthier, but then Domingo Herman goes on the I.L., uh, you know, it's just you're, you're two steps forward, one step back kind of deal. But I guess for the most part, you can say they're getting healthier. Maybe Brett Gardner should stop hitting himself in the face with his helmet and and stuff like yeah. that. But uh, but obviously, here are the Yankees, and and the the quick talking point I think you'd agree is with a bunch of guys they had no business being in business with. They're the head of the class in the AL Leaf. So now here comes the varsity. How does that change the dynamic and, I guess, the mojo of this team potentially?
0: Well, I, I mean, I think we're going to hear a lot about mojo, and the Yankees are going to lose some games. That's just going to happen. But they won 32 out of 42 uh, going back to last Saturday, the second game of the Red Sox series. 32 out of 42. I mean, you're not doing that all year long. So even – and. You know, I guarantee you it's going to be, oh, look, when these guys came back, they didn't play as well. I mean, they just happened to go on a really good stretch uh, at a time when they were probably weren't playing some great competition for a lot of those games, and you were getting, you know, you were starting to learn a little bit more about uh, who the Yankees got. The biggest surprise, you know, Ursella, uh, I think every – I mean, listen, D.J. LeMahieu who's was an all-star caliber player, won a batting title. The fact that he comes in and starts hitting – Is not really surprised. He was just kind of an unexpected signing and didn't really have a position. And they found a position for him, and they will continue to do so. Rochelle has been a huge surprise. Otherwise, you know, the Yankees are starting to get healthier, and they just need to settle some pitching issues.
3: Cora said he looked across the field and he saw the 2018 Red Sox when he looks at this year's Yankees. And, and with that Red Sox team, they got off to a 17-2 and start, so they believed because of that 17-2 and start. Was there a moment where you look at this Yankees team and with all the replacement, they just understood, hey, you know what, we have these guys missing, but we're still a really, really good team?
0: Yeah, I can't think of one particular moment, uh, Rob, that sticks out, except that, you know, they've, they lost... Um, well, they were six and nine when the season started. They were losing series to the Orioles, the Tigers, and that's when all these injuries are really starting to pile up. Uh, they had a couple in spring training to deal with Aaron Hicks, and then all of a sudden, within the space of a couple of days, uh, Stanton goes down, Tolitsky goes down, Andrew Ruiz down, and then ten days later, Aaron Judge goes down. Um, I and along the way, they just started winning series, so. I don't know if there's a particular moment in there, but when they're getting big hits from, from those guys and – and listen, i got to give a lot of credit for all the talk about, um, you know, the replacement Yankees and the B-bombers and all that stuff. Let's not forget that Gary Sanchez is having an all-star year, having an MVP caliber year. Uh, he is hitting back to the way he was two years ago. His defense has improved. He doesn't get enough recognition for the improvement of his defense. And uh, I think you have to recognize that with stars missing, going back to last season, when we started thinking about Judge Stanton and Sanchez, there were many people who thought Sanchez was the best overall hitter in that group. Last season fizzled for him. This year he's showing you what they were talking about, and it's important to note that in wake of all of these injuries, Gary Sanchez is having an MVP caliber season.
2: One last one for Sweeney Murdy before we let him go. Uh, it's funny because you got a couple Red Sox guys talking to a Yankees guy, and I'm going to ask you about the Tampa Bay Rays right now because they're the hmm. team right in the middle of those two other uh, supposed Goliaths, and, and the Rays, who are the ultimate David with the slingshot. Uh, you know, they, they take this swing for Craig Kimbrel reportedly. They offered him three years, thirty-nine million, so they finished second in that sweepstakes. If they have that kind of money, apparently. Uh, what else could they do? I mean, they don't need starting pitching, but uh, a DH type who wouldn't affect their great defense, I mean, is that a possibility that they do bring in somebody else?
0: Yeah, I, I'm I'm a little surprised at that just because I look at them as a team that, you know, when I you, know, when you look at the ALEs, I'm not surprised how good they play or how good they are playing. They're just smart people. There's smart people who who run a really good team, and every year we're like, wow, look at these guys. We have to stop being surprised.
2: Sweeney, thank you so much, buddy. Great catching up with you. Red Sox, Yankees, and Rays will be a a fight to the death. All
0: right, fellas, have a good one. All
2: right, that is Sweeney Murdy. Always great stuff with him. Rob and I still have more to talk about, and not AL East necessarily. We continue. It is big-time baseball.
0: Max Muncy, Madison Bumgarner, what was the exchange there? You
2: know, I hit the ball, and then he yelled at me. He said, don't watch the ball, you run. Man, I just responded back.
1: If you don't want me to watch the ball, you can go get it out of the ocean. What are the latest rumors around the game? Josh Lewin and John Heyman go around the diamond on Radio.com Sports Big Time Baseball.
2: Final segment, Radio.com Sports presenting Big Time Baseball. It's brought to you by the 2019 Mercedes-Benz A-Class. Rob Bradford joining. I am Josh Lewin. We're going to wrap up the episode by just kind of doing some out loud wondering about what's coming down the pike, I guess, Rob. I mean, for the first time, waiver (laughs) deals will not be permitted after July 31st, so no longer can teams make a late addition or put off doing something at the end of July in hopes of getting some more clarity by, say, mid-August. That's not happening anymore. So here we are mid-June now, and the clock is uh, – it just feels like it's starting to tick right now.
3: You just said it, that you have a different dynamic this year, and I think everyone's waiting to see how this unfolds. I think the the overall consensus is that teams have to be more aggressive, and we're not talking about just teams being aggressive in terms of making trades or, or being proactive in making trades. It's, it's teams identifying what they are going to be. And, and you know, Josh, you know, we talk about the state of baseball and, and the teams. Remember, J.D. Martinez saying in, in spring training, there's 80% of the teams aren't even trying. Well, you know, we're going to find out pretty quick which teams are actually trying and which aren't because they have to make up their mind a whole lot quicker.
2: And it seems like this is the kind of year where there's such, a, I call it the mosh pit of mediocrity. there are so <laughs> many teams that are around 33 and 33-ish. Right. I mean, so it's tough. I mean, the Nationals, for example, to me, they could go either way. They could say, nah, we're out. Or they could say, we're all in. A team that you never saw coming, like the White Sox, could say, you know what? We're a lot closer this year than we thought we'd be. So there just seems to be a lot of uh, of wiggle room right now. I mean, there's definitely halves. You know, the Twins might want to add a piece. The Rays might want to add a piece. There's have-nots. You know, the Royals and Orioles are going to want to sell. But there's a big, thick middle right there. Yeah. And don't you think, Josh, that there's different
3: kinds of middles? There's different kinds of teams that you're you you have. Uh, for instance, the Chicago White Sox. Chicago White Sox, as we sit here, are three games out of the wild card, and they're two games under 500. But that doesn't mean that they are being are they're viewing situations the same as teams that aren't necessarily that far away from them. I think the White Sox, much like their pursuit of a Bryce Harper or Manny Machado. They want to send a message. I mean, they're not out of it for the first time in a few years, and I think there's a few teams like that who maybe are saying, hey, you know what, we understand that the wise decision might be to draw back for the fifth straight year and just play for the future, but really there is a window here to show our fans that we aren't one of these teams are gonna are going to be tanking it.
2: And, you know, and one of the teams from that division that's so intriguing to me is the Tigers because they've got a couple pieces. I mean, Green obviously is one of them. He's, uh, you know, not your typical closer, but he sure has a lot of saves. He's doing something right. Is that a fit for someone like? Oh, I don't know, off the top of my head, the Red Sox.
3: Well, it should be right. I mean, this is it matches up perfectly. You talk a guy, like, a guy like Green, but here's the thing that interests me, Josh is that you go back a couple years ago, the Red Sox w- were in on J.D. Martinez. And I'm not talking about the free agent J.D. Martinez. I'm talking about the trade piece J.D. Martinez that went to the Arizona Dimebacks. And there are some people in baseball who say the Diamondbacks took that deal, took that, or the Tigers took that package from the Diamondbacks, and it wasn't that great. That what the Red Sox were offering might have been better, but you cannot discount that the animosity might be a strong word, but the dynamic with Dave Dombrowski leaving. Remember, Josh, this is you go back to the way that the, a game was scheduled for the Tigers and the Red Sox the year after Dombrowski left. The Red Sox were in the in the throes of this road trip. They could have absolutely had this makeup game be a night game. And the Red Sox were traveling, I think, from Baltimore, but no, they made that a day game, made things uncomfortable for the Red Sox, and everybody in the Red Sox organization said, well, you know what the reason they're doing that is to stick it a little bit to Dave. And, and then you hear things, like I said, about well, the J.D. Martinez dynamic, then it makes you think. I don't think that that means that they aren't going to get a trade done, but it, it does. you have to put that on the radar when you talk about a guy like Green.
2: That's interesting. And, you know, I look at some of the other guys that might have a lot of value. I mean, a Ken Giles and Ian Kennedy. Michael Givens is not having a great season, but he's got a great arm. Uh, The Giants have a couple pieces, including Will Smith. So uh, of all those guys, I mean, and I know they're all relievers that we're talking about here. I mean, there's big pieces like the Bumgarners and the Grankies who are starters. But doesn't it make sense that those relievers, I mean, once one of them goes somewhere, it's almost like the first olive out of the jar, right? I mean, the other olives just kind of come scooting right out.
3: Yeah, that's how it felt last year a little bit, didn't it? And and you had guys though who were traded, who had years of control, the Brad Hands of the world, and and so they had to give up a little bit more. I mean, the the, the Indians gave up one of the baseball's top prospects to get a closer who had another year of free or of eligibility. So. There are those guys, and we saw the run when those guys started being traded. But what you're talking about, I think uh, there are some guys out there who are at the end of their contracts, the last year of their contracts, who can be had. And, and this is a thing, Josh, that I, I always cringe at where, where they say, oh, you don't have enough to get those guys. You don't have enough to get those guys. I'll default to the Red Sox once again. They got Brad Ziegler, a very valuable guy a couple of years ago. They got Addison Reed, a very valuable guy. They even got Nathan Evolvey, a very val- valuable guy last year. And you're not talking about giving up any of your top prospects to get him. So you have to keep that in mind. You always have enough to get them. It's just how much competition is there going to be.
2: That is Rob Bradford, and that is exactly why we invited him on the show today for that kind of insight and that kind of uh, pithy snark. Nope. that, that Brad Foe has made famous in New England. I, I could be so snarkier
3: look. than that, Josh. Come on. Let's, now, well,
2: I, you know what? You, you did fine. And and we'll okay. have you back again to go like snark plus. But <laughs> uh, hey, I, I appreciate you, buddy. I, I'm sure John Heyman does, too. He'll be back next week, but I'm sure we'll have more Rob Bradford as the, the podcast continues. Thanks so much to Rob, and, and thanks to our guest today as well. I'm Josh Lewin. It is Big Time Baseball presented by Radio.com Sports.
1: Thanks for listening to Radio.com Sports Big Time Baseball. Brought to you by the 2019 Mercedes-Benz A-Class. Josh Lewin and John Heyman will be back next week diving into the latest across Major League Baseball. See you later! This has been a presentation of Radio.com Sports.